Um, good morning, uh, honorable members. Good morning, our support staff, uh, members of the media, everybody who's on the platform. Uh, I would also like to welcome uh, Team National Treasury. <clears throat> we know that um, the Minister of Finance last week tabled the, his budget. Amongst the, the bills that he tabled on that day was the Division of Revenue Bill. Um, that's, the, that's the bill which uh, divides national, uh, national raised revenue amongst the three spheres of, 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 of government. That is the national government, provincial government, and uh, uh, local governments. <clears throat> so today we, we are having national treasury uh, to brief the committee so that the committee can have an opportunity to interact with that, uh, with, with that, with that, with that bill. As, as you know, uh, perhaps for the benefit of the members of the public who are listening, um, once the bill has been processed by uh, this committee, it will go to the National Assembly where it gets debated and adopted and then go uh, and then it goes to the National Council of Provinces. Again, uh, the Select Committee on Appropriations also interact with the bill. They debate it, and then it goes. To, uh, once uh, passed by that house, it then goes to the uh, 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 to, uh, to the president to be signed as as law. So that's the process that was 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 starting today with the division of revenue of the revenue bill. <clears throat> Having said that, Darren, any apologies? No, Chair President, we haven't received any apologies for today. Thank you so much, Darren. Team Treasury, Dr. Mampo, are you or who's, lead, who's leading the, the team? Mary Jane? Yes, uh, it's Mary Jane. <laughs> okay, I, 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 I remember. Uh, Mary Jane, uh, compliments of the new season. I think it's the first time I see you in March this, this year and, and, and your team. Um, please uh, uh, take uh, take us through your presentation. Um, Honorable Kaiso, uh, I'm having problems with my connectivity. If I get cut, please continue chairing the meeting. Madi Jane, please uh, uh, take us through the presentation. Thank you, Chair. So I wonder if somebody is doing it for me. Um, or do Eric? I have to? No, no, I'm, I'm looking for the presentation. I thought it's going to come. But it came, Bongoni will put it up. Okay. Okay, thank you, Chair. Um, and uh, good morning to you, and, and also Happy New Year to you and, uh, and, 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 uh, and honorable members of, uh, of this committee. Um, and, and we are grateful for this opportunity to brief you on the bell. I am supported by Wendy uh, Fanon uh, in this uh, presentation and uh, Lizeba Pakisi and uh, Bongani Daga. 
So we'll, we'll take you through the, 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 the presentation very quickly. But we do also have other members of uh, the team and uh, IGR and you know, public finance normally would be here so that we can then respond to all the questions that uh, you will be asking us today. So by way of an overview, we will give you an overview of the Division of Revenue Bill. We will then um, outline provincial government allocations uh, and, and indicate to you how we have updated provincial equitable share. Uh, local government allocations will follow, and then we will talk to um, the changes to the bill uh, in terms of the clauses, uh, you know, and, and, and the allocations. So there are annexures that will also go through quickly, um, I guess if time allows, um, for FFC recommendations um, response, which uh, is detailed in Annexure W and also responses to the committee recommendations uh, in the previous sittings, MTPS, um, and details on the allocation. So these are the annexures, uh, and, and some of which we will reflect them in, the, in, in, in our presentation. Uh, next slide. So as a way of uh, an overview uh, of the Division of Revenue, uh, we are seeing um, the total uh, allocations, uh, non-interest spending, you can see, is growing by 1.4% on average over the MTF. Um, but the national allocation does decline by about a percentage. Um, and somehow I don't see the numbers here. <laughs> Even that looks like my photo. Let me see if I can. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so so the, the, the national share grows by an average of um, or non-interest spending in, in aggregates uh, by 1.4, but the main budget expenditure, including interest spending, grows by 3.4 on average. So, but what we are seeing is that the national share is actually declining on average by 1.1%, while provinces' allocations are declining on average by an aggregate 1.4%. Uh, with a, a decline, uh, rather increasing, uh, and uh, with provincial equitable share increasing by 1%. And I think the growth in provincial equitable share there is because of the additions that we have made um, in the year uh, on for COVID, which are not uh, pulling through uh, in, the, in, in the MTF. So, um, and, and we will see how that works. Uh, and then the growth in conditional grants. So, where, where there is a strong a growth is in the local government share, which um, in aggregate grows by almost 8% per annum on average, and the strong growth of equitable share uh, and, uh, and, and conditional grants. So re basically reflecting that they are experiencing a, 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 higher, than a higher than inflation growth uh, in their share of the allocation. Uh, next slide. So, but what we are also seeing here, I think maybe what I need to point out, Honorable Chairs, is the growth in the interest, debt, debt service costs, which are way more than the growth in the allocations, which actually says that uh, the more we borrow, the more we are actually crowding out spending 
uh, and taking money from services to actually service the debt, which I think for me, it's highly inequitable because you are putting money in the hands of the investors and taking it away from, from, from service delivery. And this is really reflected by how strongly our debt stock is growing over, <clears throat> over the years as we continue to borrow more. So this division of revenue also is continuous to be highly redistributive. So we want to continuously indicate this, that that is the stance that we are maintaining in the allocations of um, uh, to, to us provinces and to municipalities. So when you Madi, look at... Uh, Madi, Chen, Chen? Sorry, can I just interrupt you? Um, I've, I've just remembered that uh, when we've got division of revenue, sometimes we... We are joined by Salga. Um, so if I is Salga on, on, on the platform, if they are here, they are very much welcome, Salga. Uh, it's an important stake, stakeholder when we deal with the division of revenue. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, sorry probably for... FFC, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, and FFC, yeah. And FFC yeah, on board. Yeah, also welcome everybody who's on the platform. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Chair. So now what we're reflecting here is that when you look at the rural provinces and you compare like Gauteng and Northern Cape, you can see that Northern Cape receives um, more than twice per capita when you compare to, uh, twice the capita when you compare to uh, Gauteng. You look at metros and you are mostly rural municipalities and you also can see that uh, per household allocation is much more higher uh, almost twice as much as in the metro. So this appreciates that the revenue base of these spaces is not strong, but they do have um, a much responsibility in terms of servicing the needs of the poor. So these allocations, um, in a way, if you look at it, bias towards uh, the poor, uh, is actually enabling them to do that. Next slide. So in this slide, next, uh, you have jumped this slide. Uh, I think what we are reflecting here in this slide is the annual average growth trends uh, in the allocations uh, between the three spheres of governance over, over the years from 2008 and nine. So you can see that uh, from 2008 and, and nine, where the growth was quite strong, there has been a, a, a decline in the growth, uh, which was much faster from your know, 2018 and 19 in terms of the allocation. And but you, what we are wanting to reflect here is that local government has always um, uh, been growing at a much higher rate than other spheres of government. And you can see even when now we are beginning to um, uh, add more allocations to uh, spending, that actually this is steeper growth in the local government allocations. Uh, next slide. So this slide just reflects on municipal revenue collections. As, as you know, honorable uh, members that um, major shares of their allocation of their uh, revenue in terms of what they spend on their budget comes from their own collection. So what intrigued us there was to look at the trends uh, in the revenue collections over the month, over the three years, just to look at what has been the impact of COVID uh, in the revenue. We actually expected quite substantial decline in the revenue collection particularly in 2021, but also in 1920, a little bit, given that that is when 
COVID started and there were almost like three months or so, you know, towards the, the end of the year. So, but what we are seeing here is that in actual fact, the, the trends uh, per month continued to be the same over the years. I mean, you only see in May, where in 2020, where 1920, there was a bit uh, of no growth at all. But um, the rest of the month, we can see that in 2021, there has been still growth trends in the revenue and following the normal trends that um, uh, normally they, they would have, which also shows the resilience uh, in the revenue collection and the revenue collection of the municipality. So thank you very much, Chair. I will give over to Wendy and the team to continue the rest of the presentation. Kevin Goni will go first. Uh, good morning, Chairperson and Honorable Members. I hope I'm visible and audible. I'll be taking the committee through the uh, provincial allocations. Bongan, we can only see your background. I don't know what's happening to our camera, but anyway, continue. Oh, oh, apologies about that. Uh, let, okay, let me switch it off because then I don't know what the problem is. And so in terms of the provincial allocations, about 95% of the transfers to or the budget of the provinces, they come from transfers uh, from national. That means that their own revenue only constitute about 5% of their, uh, of their budgets. And the table in the table there, we are showing uh, what the provinces are getting in terms of the equitable share and conditional grants for uh, the first year of the 2022 MTEF. And also, uh, in terms of the growth, as Mema Dijeng has al already highlighted, that the annual growth rate uh, for the equitable shades about 1% and for conditional grants is uh, about 3.3%. And then there were funds that were added uh, during this budget. And then we are going to talk to those later. But in terms of the additions that were made to the provinces, uh, is the uh, is, is addition that was made to respond to the pressures, the spending pressures that are being experienced in the provinces. And also there is a continuation of the presidential employment initiative. Money has been added uh, for this time around. It was added at the beginning of or during the main budget as opposed to previous financial years where it was added during the adjustment budget. And then resulting from the 2021 wage agreement, there was a once-off uh, cash gratuity that uh, has been added. Uh, taking uh, from what Mema Dijeng has been saying about the division of revenue being risked, uh, being redistributive, uh, the graph at the bottom of the slide, what we are showing, uh, the main uh, lines that members should focus on are the top one, which is Northern Cape, and the bottom one, which is Gauteng. Uh, for the other provinces, they fall in between the two. So we are showing that over time, uh, 
Northern Cape has been getting the highest allocation per capita compared to, say, Gauteng. And then this uh, per capita allocation has been about twice as much as that of Gauteng, whereby in about 2012-13, they were getting about 3,400 more. And this jumped to about 6,100 around 2019-2020. And currently for 2022-23, it's sitting at about uh, 5,900. So this is showing that uh, the Division of Revenue indeed is uh, redistributive because the focus often is on the quantum of funds rather than a... in terms of the service of the people that are being provided services, how much are they getting in terms of the transfers? Uh, on this slide, we are showing the updates or the review of the provincial equitable share. And uh, we have previously even uh, presented to the committee uh, in terms of the uh, the review of the equitable of the provincial equitable share. I know this process has been ongoing for some time. And in terms of the uh, task team that is responsible for reviewing the provincial equitable share is National Treasury, all the nine provincial treasuries, and the FFC. And depending on which component is being reviewed, uh, as in the case recently, we have been reviewing the health component, sector departments be, uh, form part of the committee. So the uh, D- Department of Health in the reviewing of the health component was part and parcel of that process. And then in terms of the review that we recently completed, as indicated, is the health component. And the health component has got two subcomponents, which the one that we were reviewing was is the risk as adjusted subcomponent, which account for 75%. And the other component is the output component, which accounts for 25%. This one was not reviewed. It still remains the same as was before. So in terms of uh, the review, uh, the review was to look at the uh, risk, the review was to look at the risk profile of provinces as this changes over time. So it was to uh, review the risk-adjusted component to account for those changes that happen over time. And then in terms of the review, the work was done during 2019 and 2020. And then in terms of whereby the variables were identified that would inform the current uh, risk profile of provinces. And then when that work was being done, there were technical work that was being done in the consultations, whereby after the work was done, there was a workshop that was held that included all uh, the provincial departments of health, national department of health, and all other stakeholders that work within the health sectors. This would include even the uh, colleagues from universities that came together to kind of uh, look at how the review and and provide inputs in terms of was that the right direction that has been taken in terms of this review and then there was consensus that this is like the approach that uh, sh- should be used in terms of the review and all the fact 
all the factors that were identified were appropriate, even in terms of the weightings that were given to this uh, were, were, were appropriate. And so in terms of the what has been reviewed, the top graph is showing the old uh, risk adjusted index and the bottom part is showing the revised one, which is the new one that is going to be implemented from the 1st of April, 2022. So in terms of uh, what is new in the new risk adjusted is that uh, previously uh, there was a consideration for oh, for just uh, maternity, but in the current one is total fertility, whereby they're looking at like uh, the number of children that a, a woman would bear throughout her lifetime. And then the HIV and AIDS uh, used to be a standalone component or a factor, but that has been incorporated into the Asian sex uh, factor and also the premature uh, mortality. So uh, even the weights we have shown uh, for each factor, the weight that it accounts for, within this new, newly uh, revised risk adjusted index. And then this uh, change that we are seeing here is going to be uh, implemented or, or phased over the three years uh, to minimize the impact in terms of the allocations to provinces as a result of this review. And then in terms of the normal updates that we are doing to the provincial equitable share, uh, for the insured people, uh, we used the, the 2019 general household survey because the 2020 uh, was not available by the time that we determined the equitable share. And then in terms of the output component, which uh, looks at the number of visits to health facilities, given the COVID uh, challenges, a lot of those facilities either did not report or people did not visit a lot of uh, health facility due to fear of COVID. So what was decided was instead of using the latest uh, available information that has that had these gaps, as I have indicated, uh, the information that was used is similar to what was used uh, for the 2021 uh, division of revenue. So that is uh, something that was agreed upon as uh, through the budget consultations uh, by all the stakeholders, given the challenges with the most recent data that was not going to show the correct the accuracy of the visits to the health uh, to the health facilities. And then in terms of the other data updates, uh, there was the LORIS was updated using the most recent and the media population income and expenditure data. Oh, and also just to note that for the uh, media population data, the data that was used uh, to update is for the 2021 MTEF. And then there is a note in the division of revenue whereby uh, we used data that we have been provided by SA. But that data that is used given that SA only publishes their publication later, will differ from what is in the division of revenue in terms of the media population, but an explanation has been provided in the bill. So in terms of the additions that uh, we spoke about earlier, as a 
as a result of the uh, 2021 wage agreement, there was that uh, 14.7 billion that was added for once of uh, non-pensionable uh, cash gratuity. Uh, this was for the carry-through cost because even for the 2020-21 financial year, that uh, fund, the same funding was added. So the money, in terms of the way that it was allocated, about uh, 13.9 will throw through will flow through the provincial equitable share. And later I will show you the nine the 809 million that it will be flowing through the conditional grants that have got the COE component. And also, as indicated, there was additional funding, and this funding uh, was only for the education sector, whereby 12.7 billion is added to this will flow through the provincial equitable share. This funding is added only for the first two years of the MTEF, and this is to continue with the hiring of school assistants, uh, as has been the case in the previous uh, financial years. And then the further funding in terms of the pressures that have been identified for the education sector, there is 24.6 billion. And this is to address the shortages for teachers and also any other pressures in the sector. And then the, for the health sector, there is 15.6 billion that is added. And this is uh, for to fund the response to COVID and also for the reduction in terms of the pressures when it comes to essential medical uh, procurement of me essential medical goods and services. And there was, for the social uh, development sector, there was an addition of 988 million. And this was to ensure that the allocation to the NGO and non-governmental organizations are growing by inflation, given that previously the provincial uh, departments of social development had to make a choice either reducing the number of NGOs that are being funded or reducing the allocation. So this would assist in terms of that. Uh, and then in terms of the changes to the uh, conditional... Honourable member, please, let I assume the honourable member Let's let's just mute our, our 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 mics, please. We are disturbing the presentation. Okay, let's just check our mics and mute them. Okay, uh, uh, continue, sir. Okay, thanks, chair. In terms of the changes to the conditional grant, as uh, announced in the MTBPS, the early childhood development uh, grant is moving from the Department of Social Development to. Uh, Department of Basic Education, and this uh, is going to be uh, effected from the 1st of April 2022, when the new financial year starts. And then also in terms of the uh, Depart Department of Cooperative Governance, uh, there was there is a change in the name of the provincial disasters from the provincial uh, disaster relief grant to the provincial disaster response grant. So this change uh, it, it does not necessarily change the objective of the grant, but they say that this is more encompassing uh, in terms of the response as it also includes the relief aspect. Uh, so it also for the health, uh, Department of Health, uh, this was also announced in the MTBPS, whereby 
the grant that used to be called the HIV, STD, malaria, and uh, community out community outreach grant, which had uh, multiple components about eight, had, was restructured whereby a new uh, grant is called the District Health Programs Grant, and now it only has got two components, uh, being the comprehensive HIV/AIDS and the District Health component. So this one, this grant uh, was restructured because the previous grant was now too big uh, for to be managed. And also, uh, the two components that were within the uh, previous grant, which is the mental health services and the oncology services, uh, have uh, have been shifted to the national health direct national health insurance grant. So this is to align with the. Uh, National Health Insurance Program. And then in terms of the responding to COVID-19, uh, 1 billion has been added uh, to the to this new grant. And this uh, is going to be added to the district health component grant to, for provinces to continue with the rollout of COVID vaccine. And this is augmenting the 900 million that was added in the 2021 budget. So in total for the 2022-23 financial year, we have about uh, 1.9 billion uh, that is meant to uh, assist provinces for the rollout of the COVID vaccine. Uh, so in terms of uh, the change, changes to the health uh, department, uh, during the adjustment budget, uh, we moved money from the indirect uh, national health insurance grant for mental health and oncology and uh, moved it to the direct national health because uh, previously mental health and oncology were funded both from the direct and the indirect grant. So the direct being the previous HIV um, grant. So all the money for mental health and oncology are now being moved to the direct uh, national health insurance grant. And then also, uh, given the challenges that we have been experiencing for off shortages in funding for medical interns, uh, funding has been reprioritized and, and also additional funding has been provided. So in terms of reprioritized funding, uh, 714 million uh, was reprioritized from the indirect NHI and also from the health facility grant, and then 3.3 billion, which is the new new money that is added to this grant, uh, is added, and this is uh, for over the three years of the MTEF. So this money is split over the three years of the MTEF, so that it provides uh, funding for the for the uh, placement of the medical interns. And uh, for the transport sector, this uh, was communicated also during the MTBPS that the incentive component is going to be uh, removed from the baseline. This is owing to uh, the allocation methodology for the incentive being uh, looked at to ensure that it is equitable. And then also further to that, there is 65 million that is being uh, reprioritized from the uh, provincial uh, road maintenance grant. And this money is 
for the system that is used to centralize the data collection. And then uh, in terms of the funding for the COE that I spoke about, the table is showing for that uh, 809 million that I spoke to that said is going to flow through the conditional grants, it's showing uh, per grant how much of that funding is going to flow through that grant. And then there were also disasters that happened around 2019 and 2020, and this uh, were in KwaZulu-Natal, and funding has been provided uh, for uh, the repairs to damaged infrastructure that uh, occurred. And in terms of the funding that has been provided uh, for, to respond to this, to this disaster, uh, the, for the Human Settlements Development Grant, uh, funding of 200 and, sorry, 398 and 475 has been provided for the first two years of the MTEF for the repairs to houses that were damaged. And in the education sector, for the repairs to schools that were damaged, 145 million and 329 for the first two years have been provided. And for the repairs of the provincial roads that were damaged, uh, nine, 490 and 294 million in the first two years are also provided. And all this funding is only for Wazulu Natal. And then uh, from the uh, committee chair uh, and members, we are asking that when we gazette in terms of the section 15 of uh, the division of revenue, uh, we, are, we are humbly asking that in terms of the new uh, grant that uh, I spoke to earlier, there was an error that was made because the grant uh, is designed such that it has an overarching grant framework and each component has got its own uh, framework. So the, frame, the overarching framework uh, like mistakenly indicated that in terms of the targeting for the uh, human papillomavirus vaccine, vaccine uh, the target is uh, uh, girls in grade seven instead of grade five. So we are asking that we correct that in the overarching grant framework. And this is not going to affect any allocation to any province. And also yesterday, the Department of uh, Public Works and Infrastructure indicated that they provided an incorrect target for the full-time equivalent uh, for uh, roads, for the Department of Roads and Public Works in the Northern Cape, whereby in the current bill, the target that is shown there is 53 as provided by the uh, Department of Public Works, but they say that is uh, uh, that was an error. The correct figure that was supposed to have been reflected is 2,361 uh, job opportunities. So we are also requesting that uh, when we gazette, we correct for that. And also this is not going to affect any allocation to any uh, province or any uh, department. Uh, thank you very much, Chair and Honourable Members. I'll hand over to my colleague, Letha Papakis, to take you through the local government uh, presentation. Thanks. 
Um, thanks, Bongani. Uh, if we can move to the east. Thank you. Uh, good morning, honorable members. Uh, good morning, Chair um, and the colleagues uh, at large. Uh, the slide you see before you shows the various sources of uh, revenue um, for local government uh, coming from the, the fiscals. So you would see that, you know, there's the equitable share, the grants, direct and indirect. Um, there's also um, support for, for, for councillors. Um, and uh, so that, that's what constitutes the 9.8% of national raised revenue that then form uh, falls to, to the local government sphere. And uh, I know the honorable members are already aware of this. I'm just gonna plead with the public to know that this uh, should not be looked at uh, in isolation. It must be looked at in relation to the previous slide that DDG Marijane presented, which showed uh, two things really. One, uh, the many uh, revenue raising powers that are afforded to local government, but also secondly, the large increases that have been made through the fiscals towards the, the local government uh, sphere. Uh, I mean, uh, we've had these discussions before uh, where that percentage seems a little smaller, but if you look at it in a context, you actually see that um, it, it's actually quite large. Um, I mean, what we have seen with this city of Tswane as well in terms of their uh, um, a program, you know, to collect what is due to them. You know, you actually see that, you know, all that revenue that, you know, at some point they've been convinced that is uncollectable, that actually if you put more effort in terms of um, uh, trying to raise revenue, you can actually get a lot from, from that. So we, we continue to plead with the municipalities through the various platforms that we have uh, so that they can put more effort in terms of uh, trying to recoup the funding um, that, you know, the revenue that uh, hasn't been uh, collected. Um, in terms of the direct allocations, really, um, it's, it's a good story to tell for local government, even in this fiscal environment, uh, where we're seeing other um, spheres of government really getting uh, a low growth uh, in, 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 in the local government space. We're seeing a healthy growth of seven upon 9% in direct allocations. Uh, but also, I think most importantly, in terms of the equitable share, there's the, the largest increase there around 10.3% to compensate for the growing um, uh, indigent uh, households at a municipal level. Next slide, Mungani. Um, having spoken to yeah, thank you. Um, having spoken to the additional uh, uh, funding that has been provided, which actually ensures that we fully fund, you know, um, the provision, you know, of, uh, of of services to poor households, um, with the twenty nine billion that has been added to the equitable share. So we've also had to uh, make some annual adjustments. Really, these are the adjustments we make every year, where we take into account, you know, the and how per municipality using the, the data that we get from SA. In this case, we use the 2020 General Household Survey data to then update that, uh, which on average shows that really households are growing at 2.7%. 
um, and and also in terms of um, bulk water, you know, we use the average uh, water. Um, uh, the price increases there really from the all the water pools that we have, and the current average that we use for the formula is ten point five. Uh, this we do to ensure that you know we we the, the fiscal keeps up with the increases you know in this uh, in these sectors, and we certainly hope that the regulator uh, that is being put in place uh, in the water sector will actually assist in terms of ensuring that you know there is um, consistency in how these uh, uh, increases are, are applied, uh, but but also that just maybe you know under such conditions a double digit increases are undesirable. Uh, in in the electricity space, the honourable members and the members of the public would be aware that there is currently an impulse between uh, uh, ESCOM and NERSA in terms of their application for the multi-year price determination five. Uh, and by the time we finalised the the allocations, that uh, matter was was in the in the court processes, and and because of the absence of that, we then uh, resorted to then using uh, the previous approved MYPD, uh, which uh, had an average of eight point nine percent. So so there's I think in the past few. Last week, actually, I think there was a, a determination there by NERSA of around 9.6%, which is not far from our average, really. Um, so, and all the other costs, the honorable members, are increased by inflation. Um, and you will be able to know that, you know, from the fiscals, you know, six, you know, 64 billion uh, goes to local government to fund uh, the free uh, basic services. And, and I think I cannot overly emphasize how, how helpful the, the 29 billion that was added in this budget has been to that process to ensure that we fully fund uh, the poor households in these municipalities. And, and I think now the ball is on the municipal cost to then use that money efficiently. And, and unfortunately, you know, the evidence we have is that they haven't done so uh, in the past. So it means something has to change to ensure that the additions actually flow to the relevant people uh, on the ground that need these services. Um, next slide, Mongani. Um, yeah, yeah, honorable members, I'm going to talk to a number of um, reforms uh, in the local government space that are aimed at addressing some of the inefficiencies at local government. You would all know, and I think you have in many occasions uh, spoken to us about some of the measures that we put in place that have been really assisted uh, the people on the ground. So where we have measures, for instance, in the stopping and reallocation, um, where funds would then be given to a municipality that is ready to, you know, to do the job. But, you know, you always raise the question around what about those people in that municipality whose um, money has been moved and are able to then, um, you know, get the services. So through the Department of Cooperative Governments, uh, Government uh, is, is going to introduce an indirect component uh, to the MIG. 
uh, and, and really here the aim is to target those municipalities whose systems, you know, would have failed. So that would mean that in the past they failed to spend the money, uh, but, but also, you know, in terms of the inefficiencies, in terms of your water losses are, are quite high, they're not spending enough on repairs and maintenance. So those uh, are the municipalities that are being targeted for the conversion in here. Uh, in the local government space. And, and, and what excites us more, I think, around this is that there's going to be a capacity building program that is coming with this kind of support. So TCOC is not merely just going to uh, implement these projects on the behalf of the municipalities, but they would have, uh, they would need to ensure that that support, you know, also comes with, with capacity building as well, or some form of capacity building so that these municipalities are in the short to medium term in a position where they are able to, to provide the services the, them, themselves. And, and also just to, you know, I think one of the biggest issues in the, that we've found, which I'm going to talk to Lee quite, quite later on in my presentation, is the issue around asset management. It's a big issue uh, at local government because some of the infrastructure that has been built hasn't been uh, maintained. Uh, and as a result of that, you know, um, we're seeing all the inefficiencies and actually just the zeal to then build more new um, infrastructure instead of then maintaining the one that we have. Um, so, so as part of that, we're really looking at measures, uh, indicators, you know, that can be included in the MIG. So as we apply the criteria of the, uh, of the conversion, you know, then there will be those municipalities whose systems wouldn't have been completely uh, broken. Where we're going to apply this um, when 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 the treasury leads the process of the stopping and reallocation with sector departments, we're then going to look at what can we test. You know, what are some of the performance related um, uh, indicators can we use? You know, for in order for us to promote, you know, proper asset management uh, at, at a local government uh, level. And, and then honorable members, again, just one of the reforms everyone is, is talking about the, uh, the DDM model and, and what it means for, for the rest of us. So the, the municipal systems improvement grant um, would be utilized for the purposes of really putting those institutional plans in place, you know, in these district spaces um, that that have been, uh, and the, the 52 that have been identified. It's, it's quite important, honorable members, to know that, you know, the Department of Cooperative Governments is, is leading into that space. Um, uh, next one, Bongani. Yeah, I'm not going to talk to the first uh, change, honorable members, because Bongani, my colleague, had spoken about it in terms of the provincial disaster relief grant. So the same principle applies to the uh, municipal disaster relief grant in terms of the, the name change that has been applied there. Uh, but I'm just going to jump straight to the budget facility for infrastructure, uh, the BFI, as, as, as we know it. Uh, I think in the adjustments budget, we were here and, uh, making a case for a reduction uh, in terms of uh, the monies that were meant to flow to the city of Cape Town for the my city, a, a, a public transport network. And that was really to align uh, their plans, you know, and the cash flow projections. 
Um, and, and the same principle really applies there. We're just continuing with that because the analysis that the city had done covered, you know, more than just, you know, that financial year, which is um, the 2021-22 uh, financial years, but also all the financial years. So we had indicated then that, you know, the money was not a reduction per se, but more of rescheduling. And, and what we are seeing here is that while the principle applies in terms of um, the, the reduction in the first two years, we then bring back the money in the third year. We start bringing back the money. So that's just to align with the plan to ensure that the project is very rolled out as initially planned in terms of the scope. Uh, the timelines may need to change, but the scope uh, is still the same. So we'll continue to monitor uh, how the city uh, expands and continues to build capacity to be able to undertake this such a, a huge job. Uh, and, and again, in terms of um, the regional bulk infrastructure, in the adjustments uh, process, we had added uh, 83 million, you know, to start the first phase, but now there's a billion that has been added. It's also from the BFI facility. It's also to help uh, with the implementation of portable water and security uh, projects in, in, the, in the George uh, local municipality there. Thanks, Pungani. Yeah, there, there are also other adjustments that we will have to make. Uh, there's a, uh, a 50 million uh, that was reprioritized, you know, in just the one year, the, the 2022-23 financially uh, from the ESCOP uh, INEP. A, a grant to really assist in terms of the operational requirements for the uh, independent power producers. You know, so this will also assist, I think, uh, in terms of the local governments being this once that office is, is up uh, and, and running. And then we can assure the honorable members that the analysis that has been done is that this will not affect service delivery in, in this idea uh, because, you know, there are also some inefficiencies in spending it as uh, which would allow for space for this to be to, to be made. Uh, in the first two years of the MTF, there is also a reduction, um, privatization really of eight million each year from the EDDSM grant. And, and really what uh, this is is to assist in the Department of Mineral. Um, resources and energy um, to, 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 to cover some of its operational uh, requirements. Again, this is one grant that is currently under consideration. We've been doing uh, internally as a treasury some spending review to see you know, if uh, we can uh, attain any um, value for money from 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 it. Um, and the honourable members would know that in the MIG there's a provision uh, for uh, sport uh, infrastructure to be provided, and and Polokwane is no longer in the mix, so it's in the IUTG. So uh, each time there's a, an allocation to Polokwane. Uh, from the sports component in the mix, we have to then shift that money to the IUTG so that it could be uh, spent there. So really that's for sports projects that have been identified by the Department of uh, Sport, Arts and Culture uh, in, 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 the, in, in the municipality. Um, uh, so that really just decreases the MIG by that said amount and increases the IUTG by, by the same amount. 
um, and, and over the MTF, honorable members, uh, there's, there's three for the seven million that has been added to the municipal uh, disaster recovery grant. Uh, that's all the municipalities in the in the in the KZN to assist them there, you know, to fund you know infrastructure recovery uh, after the, the disaster. Then um, there is also, I think, linked to the the president's uh, employment uh, program initiative. Um, there's there's also one point seven billion it's in the first two years of the MTF uh, uh, so that 1.7 is really the total for the two years you know and it's been added into the neighborhood development partnership a grant to assist the metros really upscale continue upscaling their city-led employment programs which which actually you know also cuts into uh, the informal settlements that our DDG is quite um, uh, passionate about uh, next next slide Pumani. And, and again, honorable members, I think I have already indicated in terms of the issues around asset management at local government, that this is an issue that cuts across you know, various sectors and there are a lot of players in the space that would want to address the matter. And, 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 and in the 2023, in this, in this budget, uh, so the financial management grant has also made a provision uh, for the preparation of asset registers, um, uh, which, which also, you know, we think is going to assist a lot in terms of those municipalities that currently don't have asset registers and the asset registers are currently a requirement, you know, in the MIG framework for municipalities that want to use the, the 5% provision uh, for for the for asset management plans, you know, so there's 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 this um, everyone coming into the space, but we just want the honourable members to afford us, um, you know, a, a, some time to then to be able to then um, relook, you know, at that provision, so that we ensure that there is no duplication, uh, that is actually collaboration uh, that takes place uh, with the with the municipal infrastructure grant provision um, that that that's there. So we are requesting that you know the committee um, uh, allows us. Uh, that and, and that you know it considers our request and recommends that you know when we then do publish um, um, these uh, after the act has been enacted after the bill has been enacted that you know we amend the framework uh, with the provision that would be speaking uh, specifically towards that alignment in terms of the funding for for asset management value chain, um, let me put it like that. Honorable uh, Chair and honorable members, uh, thank you very much. Uh, that is it from my side. Thanks so much, Wendy. Uh, thank you, um, and I'll take you through the last two uh, slides um, that deals with the actual legislation, the Division of Revenue Bill, the clauses um, to the legislation. And um, as honorable members are aware, um, most of the clauses remain the same from year to year. And what we then do is we look at two potential changes. We look at potential technical refinements, which is basically just better wording of the legislation. And then we also look at policy changes. Um, and um, some of them, of course, are a combination of both. Um, so what we do is um, for the 22 um, Division of Revenue Bill, We've made a number of um, substantive changes, and I would like to take you through them. 
The first one is with regard to in-year allocations where there's additional money um, or shortfalls um, in existing revenue and it's generally made available through the adjustments um, budget process. Um, and if you look at the legislation the previous year, it used to say that any additional allocation um, or reduction for that matter um, that goes to provinces or local government comes from national government share. Um, and um, that has just been fixed to say it comes from excess revenue so um, and shortfalls. Um, so, so it's not from national government share. Um, it's from, 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 from either the additional revenue that's in the system or the shortfall that's in the, in the system. Um, so that is just a legal refinement and improvement that's been made. Um, then, um, I don't know if honourable members can recall, last year, um, and uh, the um, uh, Presidential Employment Programme uh, money for national departments could immediately be released um, after approval by the Minister of Finance. And of course, then it was then uh, legalised in the appropriation um, amendment legislation. But the same couldn't be done for allocations that went um, to provinces and municipalities for the Presidential Employment um, Initiative, because no such provision was available in the Division of Revenue Act. Um, so what um, the Division of Revenue Bill of 2022 does, it just replicates um, the provisions that's in the Appropriation Act and links it to the Appropriation Act so that money can be released sooner. Um, and it's um, very specific. It's specific to the provisions in um, Section 6.1 of the Appropriation Act. And that is, for example, to cover unforeseen and unavoidable expenditure. It covers things that the minister announced in his budget speech. It deals with um, funding that's provided for in the contingencies reserve, um, for example. And one of the key ones there is for the disaster um, uh, funding um, that is quite key. Um, so this is quite an, an, a, a good um, refinement because um, it will um, deal with some of the challenges that we've had in the past for the easy release of, of funding or earlier release of funding in the system. Then the third one uh, um, is, is also enhancement. Um, and currently what happens on a direct grant, if a, a province or municipality do not spend um, their conditional grant money, it reverts back to the national fiscus. Um, but no such provision is made available for transfers that made to indirect grants to ESCOM and water boards. Um, so the uh, same principles are then just extended to apply to the grants made available to ESCOM and water boards. Um, so that will mean that um, if uh, ESCOM and water boards do not spend their money um, on the appropriate things, they cannot retain it and then use it for other things. Then with regard to the last one, um, again, it, it's a technical and also legal refinement. Um, this, these provisions have been in the legislation for a very long time. The only problem is that they were not really that enforceable um, because what happened, um, they were in clauses that fell away after 31st March. Um, and, and then we had to wait for the Division of Revenue Act to be enacted before um, these clauses um, came into being again. And that meant that municipalities, schools, hospitals and entities funded from provincial budgets, that means where provinces out of their own make their own provincial budgets available um, 
um, to fund, um, you know, specific hospitals, specific schools, and also locations be conditional, unconditional to municipalities. Um, they weren't that sure whether it's really guaranteed. So what we've just done is to to uh, um, push it into clauses that section 16 and 26 has got a longer lifespan than the other clauses um, to make those clauses um, be in uh, schedule 26, um, which does not expire 31 March, so that um, these clauses has got a, a longer lifespan and therefore the allocations are, are more guaranteed. So what this clause does, it, it um, makes these allocations um, final um, as per, per the Gazette. Um, and um, so some of the challenges with regard to this clause has have been addressed. Um, so again, it, it's a legal refinement that makes the implementation of the Act um, easier to do. If we can then go to the next slide. And um, what this next slide does, it just um, also highlights what um, Bongani and Itsepa presented. Um, some of the um, changes to the grant names um, just need to be captured in the schedules as well. And um, most probably the one that's most critical to note is the one about them. Uh, that's the one at the bottom, um, the municipal infrastructure grant, where there's provision made for the India conversion from direct allocations to indirect allocations. As Lesepa indicated, that grant is currently, or the indirect grant, there's no money attached to it currently. But in year, um, shifts can be made um, to the indirect allocation, and this additional schedule uh, in the Division of Revenue Bill allows for that. Um, thank you, um, honorable members. Um, that is the end of our presentation. We still got additional slides, um, but it will take too much time to go through it. Um, and it deals with um, national uh, government's response to the FFC recommendations, and it also got um, the responses to. to um, the parliamentary recommendations. Thank you very much. Thank you um, um, for the for the presentations. Um, <clears throat> um, Madi Jeng, anything from your side? Before I allow members to come in with their questions. No, no, Chair, I'm, I'm happy with um, our presentation so we can take questions. Thank you Thank so you. much. Uh, other members, can I get indications of uh, other members who would like to interact with the presentation? Peters. Honorable Peters. Chair Sarupin. Honorable uh, Sarupin. Matafa. Honorable Matafa. Any other honorable member? Kaiso. Honorable Kaiso. Honorable Mlenzana. Any other honorable member? Marie. Honorable Marie. Another member. Okay, honourable members, we'll, we'll we'll go back to how we, we do things. Uh, five minutes maximum, and uh, if you exceed your five minutes, I'll I'll I'll, I'll come in. If we still have more time, then we'll uh, we'll take a second round. But let's let's stick to five minutes, please. 
Uh, Honorable Peters, can you start? My, I'm starting my thank you, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, today I'm going to disappoint you by not uh, taking even three minutes. Uh, thank you very much to the team from National Treasury for, for the presentation. And uh, I want to take this opportunity also to indicate to you, Chair, that uh, I believe that where I am, I am as at present, we, we, I have serious challenges of connectivity. That's why it took so long for me to, to get connected. So before I lo lose connectivity, let me ask my question. My question is just related to whether National Treasury believes that um, the, the, the provincial equitable share as it stands right now, is adequate for provinces. I'm raising this, Chairperson, for example, the situation in the Northern Cape where more than 70% to 80% of the provincial equitable share is spent on salaries. And I would believe had it not been for the conditional grants, uh, provinces were, were going to have serious challenges. And at times, Chairperson, I'm not justifying that, you, you, you get to understand why provinces and, and, and municipalities seem to veer towards using the conditional grants to cover other costs as opposed to what the money is intended for. So I just want to find out from National Treasury whether there is a, a, a process in which they engage with provinces to truly comb through the provincial equitable share and check whether it is uh, uh, adequate to sustain the, the provinces. But also, Chairperson, uh, my second question is related to whether uh, provinces still do pick up hospital fees, because that could be the, their own revenue that they, they, they collect. And if they do, what is the percentage of this own revenue to, 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 to provinces? Lastly, Chairperson, what is the view of National Treasury with, the, with regard to the municipal debt that is owed and I, 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 by provinces to municipalities? And for me, we are sounding already like a, a, a broken record, Chairperson. Since 2019, when the committee started, we've been raising this issue. We've been raising the issue in the debates in Parliament, in our reports to Parliament. But the situation does not seem to improve. What is the a, 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 a national treasury doing to make sure that you can raise the issue related to how municipalities' uh, 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 debts increases annually based on what provinces owe, and also what the private sector and other role players owe, and even national uh, 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 departments owe to municipalities? Thank you, Chairperson. Yo, one pot of it. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you, Raul Peters. Raul Sarupen. Thank you very much, Chair. And Chair, also in the interest of bandwidth, um, I'm going to have to keep my video off. Chair, my question um, basically around the equitable share is as follows, and the division of revenue. My understanding is that all of these calculations, the per capita um, and so on, is based on predominantly on census data and census 2011. 
Now, we know that South Africa urbanizes at a massive rate. We know that from all preliminary estimates, including Community Survey 2016 and updates, that we now have over 66% of our population living in about 12 urban centers, um, meaning that our rural area is becoming increasingly sparsely populated, which means that, in effect, when when we are presented with this data, we're presented with data based on now 12-year-old assumptions, and I'd like to know from National Treasury if they look at if they are looking at making any adjustments to how they calculate the equitable shares for provinces um, based on changes in population and migration estimates that come through from Stats SA and so on. Because I do think that it does a disservice. Um, you know, the reality is we deliver services to people, not to land, and that's what we need to keep in mind. Um, then the second thing, Chair, is also when you when they speak about Gauteng and so on. Um, or KwaZulu Natal, and they give us you know the per capita spend. The reality is that none of these places are homogenous, and so when when money is divided up to municipalities, particularly in the division of revenue, do they take into account the characteristics of the municipality and not just the province it's in? If you are looking at Lesedi local municipality in Gauteng, it's very different to the Johannesburg metro, for example, is extremely rural. Um, or if you are looking at Itikweni versus any municipalities in KwaZulu-Natal, you get very different profiles. And I'd like to know how they calculate that when coming to their assumptions. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Raul Sarupen. Oral Matafa. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Good morning to you, Chair, and uh, Team Treasury, and everybody on the platform. Now, okay, I'm going to be very brief. I just have four questions. Um, some might be related. The first one is on the use of consultants. Uh, this matter has been lamented for quite some time. That the usage of consultants actually draws from the money that can be used for service delivery. But at the end, uh, when the accounting season starts, you still find that the work is shoddy or there is still challenges that were actually supposed to have been resolved by these particular consultants. So the question there is just to find out what is the view of Treasury and what measures are in place to ensure that this practice of using consultants, even where municipalities and provinces have fully staffed departments, uh, are in place to ensure that this practice is uh, eliminated in the long run. The second one, Chair, why I'm saying that they might be interrelated, it's on the capability of uh, municipalities and provinces to use conditional grants. When these grants are allocated, on what basis or what framework does Treasury use to determine if whether a grant and its quantum can be allocated to a particular institution? I'm asking this chair because I think that it's important that for some for 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 the for prudency we need to be able to track the past performance and what these institutions, municipalities, and provinces are capable to achieve before we allocate money and then come back to say no, you failed to use the money, let it come back. Maybe if we do a due diligence upfront, we might be able to identify if whether indeed these funds will be fully utilized. Uh, The last one, Chair, is just on, again, a matter related to infrastructure projects. 
Um, I know that in the previous presentation, we had, um, I think it was Buffalo City, Nsunduzi, and the city of Cape Town, looking at the qualification on the public transport network grant. Now, Chair, my, my question is, when we disqualify these particular municipalities for failing to use these grants, what measures are in place to mitigate the unintended consequences of these unfinished uh, projects? Because if you leave a project halfway, I'll give an example with uh, Rustenberg uh, in the CBD, they were busy with uh, the rapid transport network system. For many years, when you go there, you find half-built structures. Some of the roads are partially operational. And for many years, this has been an inconvenience for residents and motorists. So, so what, what measures are there in place to ensure that if we disqualify a particular program, the, the, the unended project or the one that is halted is not an inconvenience. And also it does not get damaged to a point that once they are readmitted, it cannot then be used. It has to be either demolished or started afresh or discarded in the plans going forward. I just have those uh, three, Chair, but thank you very much for the presentation. It's very empowering in our oversight work. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Honorable Matafa, Honorable Kaiso. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair and uh, members. Uh, I just have some few questions, uh, Honorable Chair. Uh, I just want to start here. Uh, <clears throat> I just want to check with Treasury how confident is that you will be, you know, to see uh, the return on investment on public infrastructure investment. Uh, yes, my colleague uh, did ask this question, but I just want to take it further because, you know, yesterday when we were receiving a presentation uh, uh, from, the, from the FFC, uh, there was an indication and, uh, that, you know, uh, the state of state-owned uh, companies was actually, you know, in a decline. So, and they are very central to the infrastructure development. Now, I just want to check with Treasury, how confident that these uh, state-owned uh, uh, companies will be able to deliver? Because it's very much important that to, to understand that. Uh, so that we, we, whilst we're putting in money, but at the same time, there must be an element of you know, confidence that is being displayed. Now, <clears throat> on, on second question is that uh, the capabilities of municipalities, you know, uh, it is not just, I believe that it's not just an act of just pumping money, but has Treasury been in a position to make an assessment about the capabilities of municipalities to can be able to you know to implement uh, uh, the, the, these infrastructure programs, I think it's very very much important to to, uh, to get that understanding. Otherwise, it will be just uh, just a malicious act, you know, just pumping pumping, but without you know gaining a, a an insight as to uh, is, is there actually the capability or 
you know, capacity for, 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 for delivery in as far as these uh, are concerned. Now, uh, my, my last question, Chair, uh, perhaps I will come back. Uh, has the Treasury made any inroads in as far as, you know, assisting provincial government to improve the organizational structure of municipalities? Uh, uh, because there might be a, a serious problem in as far as that is concerned. So I just want to know whether is Treasury be able to, to intervene and assist in, in that regard. Thank you very much, Chair. I'll come back when there is time. You still have time. Oh, I still have time. Yeah. So now, uh, I just want to know uh, what has been the impact of the infrastructure fund uh, uh, has been, you know, on, on, on catalyzing private investment in distressed local municipalities. I think one of my colleagues did raise this. Uh, so uh, there's a serious problem in as far as, you know, uh, uh, financial, you know, uh, the delivering as far as municipalities, a number of municipalities, even if when you read the, the auditor's general report, I mean, uh, report, it does reflect that. So I just want to know uh, what does now this, uh, how does the treasury now comes in in that particular space, you know, uh, to assist? Okay, my last question, uh, Honorable Chair, uh, how would treasury, uh, how confident that you will receive, uh, uh, no, no, that one I've asked, uh, let me pass it. My last question is, with the raising debt service cost, how will the government ensure that this does not have a crowding effect? Uh, I think the president has raised also this matter. Uh, on, on will you deal with that, you know, the balancing, that balancing act? Can you also reflect on that? Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, uh, Honorable Kaiso. Honorable Lenzana. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, let me switch off the video. I haven't uh, arranged my background correctly. Yes. Uh, I, I don't want to, 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 to be seen to be violating as if I don't know uh, the rules of the game. Uh, uh, Chairperson, uh, let me start by joining uh, my colleagues in welcoming uh, the presentation. Uh, also, uh, whilst we are welcoming the presentation, this is a generic comment, uh, perhaps Tim Treasury, Chairperson. Will 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 will, will uh, uh, correct me if I am wrong. Uh, from twenty nineteen, we are now at twenty twenty two. I think the trend of the presentation has been the same. It is just a question of uh, minor changes in terms of figures here and there. Now, my question would be, Chairperson, 
at what stage are we realizing uh, doing away with the baseline mentality? Where, 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 where we would begin to focus on uh, performance per municipality, performance per province, avoiding a situation where we would pump in money only to find that we go to the third quarter and the third quarter reports indicate to us that very little of that money has been actually correctly spent. I'm saying correctly spent because what you would notice is that running to the last quarter, you would now see what I would call fiscal dumping. Uh, that, that is one part. Then the second one is, I, I support the, 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 the money allocated uh, for assisting uh, the independent power producer's office. But now my question would be, how is monitoring Jefferson? Uh, how how do we realize that uh, it is not the other way? Uh, you, you know, ESCOM has been a thorn right through and continues to be that thorn on the flesh of government. Now, how 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 is monitoring then of this particular location for this uh, assistance to the IP? Office. Chair, this question I have been consistent with. Uh, monitoring of uh, which were actually not uh, litigations. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, boss. I can please. hear you. Can you please repeat, yes, I can hear you. repeat the question that we are just finishing because we lost you for a for a second. You lost me on uh, the question on the monitoring of expenditure. Yeah. Can yeah. Can you repeat it? Yes. I was, I was saying on the monitoring of expenditure, one, uh, how are we, are we monitoring that uh, the money that we appropriate is actually spent for what is actually uh, destined for? For instance, there would be money spent on litigations, which was not supposed to have been there. And also, more money going towards the wage bill instead of uh, the infrastructure built program. Then my last question uh, would be, I happen to be in a, a session with municipal 
Wapari ile bayunio. Sometime last year. And sharply they, they were raising across their political divide the question of capacity. Honorable Lenzana, Honorable Lenzana, can you hear me? Honorable Lenzana. Okay, um, I'll, I'll try and get Honorable Lenzana on, 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 on the phone. Uh, Honorable Mare, please come in. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, in a certain sense, um, two major questions has been kidnapped, but I want to re- make a specific remark. Uh, I can't concur much more with uh, Member Peters. Uh, and my question would be what measures and penalties is in place are in place for those municipalities that don't use the funds for the purpose it's been granted to them. We've got this serious problem that grants being used for salaries and to foot the bill of salaries at municipal level. So how would we in future now address this problem? That uh, is there penalties and can Treasury uh, advise us in which way they can handle this in for future purposes. Secondly, uh, that was Member Sirupan that actually talked about the Stats SA. And, you know, we just embarked now on the new survey and there was a lot of migration since the last uh, formal census uh, from one provinces to other provinces. And have the Treasury made adjustments and based on what to give to those provinces that as have now a much higher population than previously, or do they actually wait for this new stats is a uh, numbers as far as population is concerned when they do the necessary allocations to provinces. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mare. Honorable uh, can you come in? We didn't hear your last question. Okay. Uh, no, thanks, Chairperson. Thanks, Chairperson. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Chairperson, can you hear me now? Yes. Sure. I've tried to, to move uh, so that uh, at least I could be clear. Let mm-hmm. me start the question afresh. This question, Chairperson, is on the capacity of uh, leadership at municipality level, both the political and the admin arm. And I was saying to a person last year, towards the end, I was exposed to a session with uh, the municipality labor unions across political divide. And uh, they were very sharp uh, into saying there are capacity challenges, both politically and admin. Now I'm asking, how is Team Treasury going to manage this, particularly that now there is this political instability in municipalities caused by the hung municipalities where there is power sharing, which is not consistent, which may lead to more, more money being wasted and unaccounted for? Thanks, Jefferson. Thanks for the allowance. Thank you, Honorable Lenzana. 
Let me just check with the oral members before I go back. Oral Peters, do you have anything that you'd like to add on your questions? No, no, Chair. Thank you. The, I, I've, I've, I'm so sorry. sorry. Problem. This why I can't speak for long. Okay. Thank you. Honorable Sarupen, do you have anything? Um, Chair, I, I didn't have a question, but in light of the last, I have do have one follow up, and that is, has National Treasury noted uh, the better audit outcomes from coalition governments as opposed to majority governments? Thanks very much, Chair. Just tongue in cheek. Thank you, Honorable Sarupen. Honorable Atafa? I am fine. Thank you, Chairperson. Honorable Kaiso, thank you. Honorable Kaiso? Yes, yes, Chair. Uh, just one question. I just want to ask Treasury, you know, there was an allocation of uh, 200 billion rand uh, um, for the small business to, to, to can be able to access. Now, has the Treasury made any assessment as to uh, to what an extent has this uh, objective been attained, you know, uh, and what will be done to, to, to correct this in the future? Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Kaiso. Honorable Lenzana? No, thanks, Chair President. I'm fine. Thank you. Honorable Honorable any second thoughts? Okay. Um, let, let me. Chair, with... Chair just, a, just a quick one, Chair. Please, Honorable Peters. Jefferson, I, I'm sorry. I said I am. I'm, I need to save this. But uh, tre Treasury, I from Treasury, I just want to find out what is their view with regard to the use of consultants. For over many years, there's been a decision that a, a government should reduce the the over reliance on consultants. And uh, if you look at the situation with regard to some of the grants that are not spent, it would always be that uh, the service provider was not appointed, the service provider was not appointed, and the service provider is a consultant. So it, it and also, if you look at the use of consultant vis-a-vis -vis the wage bill, then it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. So I just want to find out that. Thank you. Thank you, Robert Peters. Uh, can I come in? Let me start by uh, uh, welcoming the, pres the, the, the presentation from Team Treasury. Thank you very much. Uh, my first question would be to ask uh, uh, National uh, Treasury to, can you differentiate between direct and indirect grant? That's, that's one. Uh, and, and, and what factors do you consider to then say this one is going to be direct and this one is going to be indirect. Uh, coupled with that question, uh, there's, there's, there's an argument uh, which has been uh, uh, presented even here in, 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 our, in our meetings that the conditional grants for all intents and purposes, uh, it's, uh, they are national department's budget. Uh, <clears throat> They, they are not uh, what we, we, we claim them to be. Uh, what, what will be your, your comment on, 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 on that? Uh, 
you spoke about the the increase, the 29 billion rand increase for basic services. And then you, you then said that they have not been used or that uh, the sphere of government where this should go to uh, has failed to use that uh, money. Uh, what's happening there? Can you say more on, on, on that? And also, uh, we all know that there are also SOEs at, at provincial and local government. I just want to check whether you do have sight of what is, is, is happening uh, there, their state, their ability to continue providing the service that they are supposed to, uh, uh, to provide. And obviously, these SOEs, they also get the, uh, the allocation uh, uh, from uh, the respective uh, uh, governments. So the question is, do you have a sight of what is happening there? And if the answer is yes, can you please share with the committee what is happening? Uh, back to you, Madi Jeng and your team. Whose hand is this? Um, Peter, you have got a, an old hand, I suppose. Please lower it. Thank you. Um, Madi Jane, please come in and with your team, team treasurer, respond. Yes, Chair, thank you very much. Uh, we will respond and um, the team will assist uh, on, of course, I think there's a lot of questions around allocation and uh, allocation criteria for both uh, equitable share for provinces and local government, and whether the, 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 the formulas respond to population uh, growth. I think that the, the team will, will respond uh, to, to that. Um, so I think the, the, the question on, <clears throat> on whether PES is adequate for provinces or not, <laughs> um, so, so what I can say is that we do engage provinces uh, and we do have uh, engagements that we call benchmark where we look at um, their, how they're allocating their budgets uh, and uh, where are the pressures uh, and, and, and whether they, it is aligned with what we are expecting as they received, uh, they receive more than 96% from national government. So I think um, their own revenue is about three to four percent. So most of the money they receive is from national government, and with the understanding of what they have to do. So the the so so I think the issue of adequacy is 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 is, is probably a difficult question because money is not enough, you know. Um, and I think if we had more money, we can spend more, you know. Even labor would demand more money. Everyone would demand more. But we do believe that uh, with what has been allocated, it has taken into account, uh, particularly with the additions that have been made now, that have tried to restore some of the uh, baseline erosion that encroached now on, on, on actually then being uh, having to reduce the number of people or having to cut down on the goods and services. So we believe that these additions that have been made are actually responding to that pressure that we saw in the provincial budget. 
So what doesn't uh, um, absolve uh, the provinces is inefficiencies in terms of how they are then managing, you know, their 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 their, their, their spending, you know, and and and, and that um, ratio between. Uh, 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 non-personnel and personal spending. So there are provinces where you find that they really are spending more on personnel. And sometimes we think there are some inefficiencies uh, in terms of how those personnels are being managed. And that is the part of what the provinces, provinces were assisting them to look at in terms of personal management, you know, to ensure that um, we, we have got the right size, the right people, and then attain them at, 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 in the right way. So, so, so there would be some differences in terms of uh, the ratios, um, you, you know, of how much is spent to personnel and non-personnel uh, between the provinces. But the, the the allocations are meant to be equitable, so that to enable them to respond to the challenges. So the management within them could be something that is a challenge that can make some differences that we may we may see. So, so the. Yeah, so the urbanization on all those, I think the team will respond uh, on that. Um, so in terms of um, consultants, I think there's, a, 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 there's been a lot of questions around whether uh, we the use of consultants, uh, the short work of consultants, and that actually links to the issue of uh, value for money uh, whether we are getting money for infrastructure. So I think what I can say here is that we are not also convinced that we are getting value for money for infrastructure. Hence, we keep on saying that the biggest problem of infrastructure, even though in terms of the allocation it has not grown as much as we would have loved to, but even with what we have uh, at the moment, it is actually that capacity and capability to actually spend. That get manifested by understanding that we often see of infrastructure, but also in terms of the value for money that uh, when we go out and check, we do realize that actually we are not receiving value for money. You know, in terms of costs, you know, the projects would always cost much more than what they were actually um, uh, uh, tendered for, for infrastructure. The quality of some of those infrastructure, the location of some of those infrastructure is actually a problem. So I think this is the issues that we raise even at the national level with the whole effort, as you know, that there is a big effort uh, through Infrastructure SA to, 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 to improve the performance in infrastructure, to accelerate delivery. So what is actually appreciated is there is a challenge in terms of state capacity. And part of what they are trying to look at is to look at how actually do you enhance that. And, and that actually could mean that you're actually using more of the private sector because the whole issue is about how you leverage that capacity that we don't have in government to deliver infrastructure. But how do you then ensure that they actually deliver value? And that depends on how you actually are managing uh, this, uh, this consultants. So in my view, the use of consultancy itself is not a problem. If it is being used in the correct way and if they are being managed, because the state will never have all the skills to deliver every, this infrastructure that they have. But you, and, and that is where working with the private sector becomes quite important and leverage the private sector. But the key here is, can we plan and define our needs? Can we manage them so that then they don't uh, cost us way more 
in the public sector than when what they when they deliver for the private sector. So I don't think it's 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 an issue in itself. It's really about how we are managing how we are also managing our own personnel so that we don't have a huge number of people while we are also using the private sector, for instance, to deliver some of these services. So that balance is still is still is still a challenge, and and I think it's something that we continuously also raise with the municipalities uh, in, in in this case when we look at, at at their budgets. So do we take into account the capability to 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 allocate uh, resources? You know, this is one one thing, and maybe here I would also respond to the, the question that Honorable Chair asked in terms of um, the difference between direct and indirect grants and whether. Um, conditional grants are national, you know, um, uh, functions, in the, so to speak. So I think what I want to say here is that national conditional grants are really part of uh, the, the national um, uh, government, national department's tools to be able to influence and performance within their sectors. So they define the policy that drives those conditional grants, uh, and 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 they also define even in terms of the allocation criteria. And the decision of whether it's direct and indirect is also coming from them. And we don't necessarily like these indirect grants uh, because they do also have some implications in terms of um, distortion on, on, on the powers and functions because the spheres will still have to own the infrastructure that gets delivered by another sphere of government in the case of indirect grant. But we have allowed that because of the issues of capability. Because the national departments will say, like now Procter wants to introduce indirect grant in MIG, because they are saying we can see the problem in some of these municipalities. They don't have capabilities, but people are not getting uh, resources. Because what we do as treasury, if you are not delivering, we take back the money. You know, if you're understanding, you have to return the money to the fiscals, right? So, but the department that is responsible for the function has got to make sure that delivery takes place. And they then have to make a determination in terms of how do you support capacity. So part of what we have also tried to entrench in the grants is that you don't only just look at indirect grants, you also need to look at how are you actually supporting them to build their own capacity so that it's not like forever and ever you're doing this. So that is why we also have MISA which is Municipal Infrastructure Support Agency, that is really meant to be supporting, enabling COCTA to support a municipality to deliver infrastructure. So I think from where we sit, uh, in terms of the mechanisms and the financing, we believe that we are providing quite a huge amount of enablement. So it all depends on the sectors themselves and, um, and, 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 and how they are managing the conditional grants to be able to ensure that we're actually getting value for money. So, so the issues of IPS, TS, I think uh, the team will, will, will help me there. Um, so Madi I've already answered. Uh, Chairperson? It was a, about conditional grant. What about a, 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 a direct grant? Yes, so, so direct grants is the same. So, so, so that's why I was saying that direct grants get allocated to departments, they then allocate to municipalities or, or, or national or, or, or provinces. So then they become appropriated in those uh, municipalities and, and provinces. So they have got to account for them in their, in their books. And, but they still have to report back to the national departments in terms of how much they are spending and how they are performing. 
So indirect grants are allocated and appropriated in the national departments. So we only show for transparency how much the, the province or the local government will benefit. But the department is actually responsible for implementing that grant on behalf of the municipality. So, so, so that's the difference. Whereas direct grants, municipality or province have got to make sure that they execute the budget for it, they execute the program, and they report and account for it. Okay. Yes. So I think I have addressed the issue of Honorable uh, Kaiso on 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 whether we have confidence in terms of returns on investment. That we we we, we there is a challenge. We don't. We are concerned about that. And that is why we continuously keep on saying to government, the problem here is not more money. The problem is actually making sure that the delivery actually gives us value for money. And there are a lot of evidence to be able to show that 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 that, that to be the case. So the issue of um, whether we are supporting uh, municipalities, uh, provinces to improve organizational structures, and the whole issues around capabilities of municipalities and assessment. So I just want to point out that this is really where COCTA, because these are institutional issues, institutional arrangements that are regulated through um, um, the systems and, and, and municipal structures act. And this is where it becomes really their functions to ensure that these municipalities have got structures that are fit for purpose and, and that they are able to support us to do that. It's not really, you know, our where, where we need to be playing in the in that space. So how does government debt? How do we ensure government debt <laughs> that is not rising? And what is our opinion? I think that also has come through a lot in terms of what is your opinion, treasure on on government debt? And I must point out that we are going to be releasing the Section Seventy Two report uh, for 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 six months into the year uh, of uh, municipalities. And what we are seeing there is that government debt has actually grown to almost 20 billion. And surely that is not correct, right? And it's something that we are saying it's not correct. Now, and when you look at the debt also, you will see that even the businesses are owing. So the people that should be paying, municipalities are not ensuring that they are paying. And what we have said to municipalities is that municipalities as treasury, we cannot be your debt collectors. It cannot work that we can be running around departments in the province and national government and saying, pay this, pay this. You need to implement your credit control the business that doesn't pay. Why are you not dealing with the departments that don't pay? If it's a hospital, why are you not going to the regional office to make sure that they pay? So I do think that the problem is that there has been too much politicization of the of the, of the credit control policies. And then at the end of the day, they remain like they're helpless. And yet, truly speaking, they are not helpless. And able that they have to be self-correct. And those sit with municipalities. Hence, we do think China was doing well. You know, we do think that it was doing well in terms of going out there to say, let's apply this. Say, Mary Jane. 
Um, so I think so, so here and we are showing this we are showing that uh, the more we borrow which is what we have been doing uh, from 2008 and 9 we had less than a trillion and now we are talking about 4.5 trillion in, in, in the end of the MTF and that means the more we borrow the more we are actually increasing the cost of servicing and because our capability becomes in question, the debt becomes even more consolidated. We need to reduce our deficit. We need to reduce the rate in which we are actually spending. And there is no other way that, that you can control the, the debt service cost if you other than just don't borrow more, don't borrow way more. And I think we have become control. We, we have been accused uh, of uh, contractual spending, and yet we are actually trying to ring about that balance of not growing the debt at a rate in which it is actually impoverishing the poor even more. Because that is what is happening. That is what will continue to happen. So, so I think for seeing this like this, we hope we can have support and understanding that we do need to contain debt, that even borrowing from the multilateral organizations is cheaper and, 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 and it is part of actually helping us to contain the debt. And in any case, what we borrow from them relative to what we are borrowing from the private sector is so small, and yet we are paying so much <laughs> to the private sector. That, 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 is, that is the balance that we need to do. We need to borrow less, you know, and therefore we need to spend more efficiently what the money that we are spending, which is the call that we're actually making as the treasury. So in terms of ESCOM, Honorable uh, Lenzen, uh, on, the, on, on the allocation, what we are saying there is that the Department of Mineral and Energy, which is actually responsible for uh, INEP, the, the, the Integrated Energy uh, uh, Grant uh, for municipalities that ESCOM is helping them to deliver, that they have cut some bit of money for IPP office uh, to be able to strengthen uh, the, the whole approach now to for independent public uh, private um, um, uh, producers, uh, energy producers. So it's not money more to ESCOM. ESCOM has always been implementing uh, 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 INEP, uh, which is infrastructure in the municipality that don't have capacity. And I don't think we have ever really had problems in terms of how they're actually doing that function. Um, yeah. So Ian, we'll talk to the consequences of misuse of grants. Um, yes, <laughs> the issue of the coalition uh, of, of political administration. You see, uh, Honorable Mlenzan, I think that is a, 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 a difficult question to ask me as an official, you know, because it is really squarely in the political realm. And we believe that political problems need political solutions. You know, there, there is no way that we can uh, be able to do that. And what we come on is is really blunt instruments that says if you haven't, if you misuse the money, we are going to then uh, take the money. And, and Yan will tell you how we how we deal with that, which is in a way a, a blunt instrument. It is also about intervening and disbanding those functions, those uh, thing, those uh, councils if they are not able to do their job. Because for us, it's, it's, it doesn't really matter whether you know it's a coalition or not. The issue is are they there to deliver for the people and are they there to serve people 
And if they are doing that, then they will manage the municipality well. If they are not, they will then mismanage, and therefore we have come in either to intervene, either to Section 216, F, either to, you know, all those instruments that would have to apply to the council, irrespective of whether it's a coalition or not. But clearly, we are worried about the coalitions. We are worried about the instability that is there, even in our own metros. It is a serious concern, given their importance. As, as, as the platform for the economic growth. It is a big worry. And we hope that there can be some political answer to those questions. Uh, Wendy and Yan, uh, can you help me here? I'm sure you have noted uh, some of the questions and, 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 and um, uh, Ohad can come in on the own revenue issue and the public entities also. So thank you. Wendy? Uh, thank you very much. Um, there's quite a lot of questions still to be answered, and um, I'll also indicate which ones I can deal with and which ones Jan will deal with and which ones Holly will deal with. Um, there were quite a number of questions dealing with um, why are we still using 2011 census data, and it's, you know, if we use 2011 census data, it's very old, and uh, what has happened is a lot of uh, um, inward urban migration and um, those type of um, shifts in population and service delivery demands are not taken into account. Um, the reality is um, that both with regard to the provincial equitable share and the local government equitable share that we use very limited 2011 census data, the reality is um, and most of the data sources that we use is actually based on survey data and not the 2011 census data. So if you look at, the, for example, the provincial equitable share, we look at mid-year population data of the previous year generally, and we do not use census data. What we do when a census comes out, we then either use that census data or we compare it against the mid-year um, population data that comes out and we then do a collaboration um, between the two. Um, but then the next year again, then we use, we're back to the mid-year population estimates. Um, uh, so uh, Stats SA um, updates um, the population statistics every year. Um, for the provinces, it's quite easy because the data is broken down to the province. But even with respect to other data, we do not use census data. Um, we again use survey data. Um, for example, if you look at um, you know who goes to schools, um, we look at the, um, the latest data from Lurid's information that is, is up to date as well and is, is um, um, based on, on actual attendance um, the previous year. Um, if you then look at, at hospital attendance, the same applies. It is updated information. Um, it just does not use census data. Um, so um, if you look at the economic um, um, activity component, again, it used data that's two years old um, because there's a bit of a lag time there. Um, and um, if you look at um, the poverty um, indicator, again, um, it is not based on, on, on census data. So in the provincial equitable share, um, there's very little data that's used that's actually 2011 census. So we do try to use the most re reliable up-to-date data that is available. Um, and that is the principle that underpins both the provincial equitable share and the local government equitable share 
If I can then go to local government equitable share, the same applies. Um, um, originally, we had, had problems um, um, when we did the local government equitable share to update the data. Um, and if you look at the equitable share, the largest component within that formula is the basic services allocation. And it's basically um, based on the number of households um, below a poverty um, threshold, um, that's two um, old age pensions um, uh, that um, need to access services. And we update both the cost aspect of the services that's taken into account on an annual basis um, and we update the household um, data as well. Um, and again, it's calibrated between the 2011 census, updated with the 2006 um, community survey data, and then it's further refined also with, um, with data that's based on provinces and worked back to, to the districts um, on an annual basis. And that methodology we've um, developed in collaboration with um, Statistics South Africa. Um, and uh, again, when the new census data comes out, we'll do a calibration between the data that we currently use versus that um, that the uh, 2022 census results will be, um, which will take most probably another year or so to be re be available. Um, and then we do a calibration and we fix the data, and then again we move back to 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 updating the the data annually. The only issue that we cannot update. Um, in the local government equitable share because there's no survey data that's reliable enough to do that. It's the, the poverty component um, and um, because it's the number of households that's indigent. It's not all households that's got access to services and, and to update the, the indigent or the, the number of households that um, are indigent is, is where, where we use um, 2011 census data. But the number of households gets updated every year. Um, so we do really strive to use the most updated data um, to, to ensure that um, allocations are as fair and 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 and, and um, um, as, as they can be. Um, so um, I don't know where the issue comes that we still use 2011 data. We really try in every meeting that we've got, we'd like to point out what data we use. Um, with regard to the PTNG and uh, what we, yes. Wendy, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, Janona, just while you are still on that one, I think you have explained that all the data you're using, you try to update and so on. But this one of indigent, it's 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 important um, um, that if if you use 2011 numbers, that may be problematic. Is there no way of of using some statistics to extrapolate what would have happened rather than relying on the, the static number of 2011 as far as indigents are, con are, are concerned, if you get what I'm saying. Yes, no, I definitely do get what, what you, the question. Um, the problem is even census data is, is, is um, very difficult to, to measure poverty. The measurement of poverty is very, very difficult. Um, and that is why you cannot use survey data um, because um, you cannot um, like for household to work it back and, and then try to, to, to determine what it is. Um, the answer to that question would have been quite easy uh, pre-COVID, but most probably post-COVID, the question becomes more difficult to answer. Because um, if you look at, um, say, 2011 census and the poverty that we had then, um, 
and you com uh, generally um, the, the poverty levels declined um, then after that. So, so you actually favour municipalities where you overcount um, the number of poor households within municipalities. But we do know, again, um, with the economic decline and post-COVID, um, that um, poverty, again, uh, deepened in the country and, um, and how it will impact on the poverty numbers is, 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 uh, is an issue that, that is quite um, key to the question. But unfortunately, that issue is we cannot use survey data. Um, it is something that uh, Statsis is also fully aware of, um, and we're all working with them. And uh, they're also getting smarter with statistical methodologies. And as soon as they get a methodology that can work um, to update it on a more frequent basis, we'll definitely do that. Um, so that, unfortunately, I know that's not the, <laughs> the response that you would like, but unfortunately, that is the reality. Um, and um, uh, even on the provincial um, side, it is something that, that we will explore. How can we me best measure poverty? And in the review of the provincial equitable share formula, there's a poverty component. And we'll also look at how we currently measure it and whether there's better methodologies out there to measure poverty. Um, so thank you for that question. It's definitely a very relevant one and something that, that is quite key. And then with regard to the infrastructure projects um, and ensuring that the infrastructure does not decline um, because the PTNG grants um, have been stopped to a number of municipalities, I'll ask Letsepa to come in with that question. Um, then with regard to the baseline and versus performance and uh, the fiscal dumping, um, if Ukhali and um, Jan can come in here um, because they're the ones that monitor the performance on conditional grants. Um, then with regard um, to um, more money is going to personnel than infrastructure spent, um, particularly important here is Mukhali um, can also come here and indicate what they do during the provincial benchmarking exercises and, and what they do to, to support um, provinces in this regard. Um, and I'm sure that um, Jan will really appreciate this question, what penalties come in when um, province, uh, municipalities use the conditional grants for salaries and not for infrastructure investment. Um, and um, we've already answered the, the question from Honourable Marie on the census data as well. Um, and then with regard to the small business um, allocation, that is not a division of revenue issue, that's a national government issue. And it's something that will come up um, during the appropriation act and, and both discussions, and it should be dealt with there. Um, and um, then Letsepa can also come in with regard to indicating um, on the um, basic services allocation and what is, um, you know, uh, provide more uh, detail as requested by Honorable Butelezi. Um, and then if Ukhali particularly can come in also with regard to the provincial SOCs. Um, ladies first, so I'll ask Ukhali to come in first. Thank you. Okay, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chair, and thank you, uh, members. Uh, to start with the, the question from Honorable Peters about whether provinces still pick up hospital fees. Yes, indeed. It's, it's, it's one of, um, I would say, health's main revenue source. Uh, 
But in terms of the provincial own revenue, uh, uh, hospital patient fees at this point in time, they just constitute 7% of, of, of the total provincial own, own revenue. Uh, for example, in the current financial year, we do have a provincial own revenue uh, adjusted budget of 20.7 billion. So of that uh, 1.4 billion is from uh, uh, own revenue or, or patient fees. And then if you look at over the, the performance up to this point, we see that actually they're not performing like uh, we look at performance at the third, uh, end of third quarter. Uh, they've only collected 55% because they do have challenges with regards to, for example, collecting from RAF. You find that, uh, as you know, that RAF has challenges with, with uh, liquidity. So that affects as well payments to, to, to provincial departments of health. But it's, it's, it's one of those, and, and I'm sure um, Honorable Peters will recall that uh, health, most of the time they'll say um, revenue collection is there is not their really main uh, purpose as an as a department for example they are there to provide health services but it's something that uh, i mean even provincial treasuries have been really pushing them hard to 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 collect more even to say because we believe that they actually they can collect probably maybe even more than 2 billion rent if really they put more effort into it but the challenge has been most of the time they don't have enough staff, especially on revenue that likes to deal with this. And also, I think the fact that um, in most uh, instances, we were still using manual systems. So also it affects uh, revenue collection. So I think that's where the challenge is, but it's, it's part of the revenue for provinces. Uh, on the issues around the conditional grants, uh, Due diligence, I would say due diligence, we do it as we implement the budget. Uh, from our side uh, on provincial conditional grants, uh, we do monitor monthly. We get monthly reports from all provincial departments. Uh, we, uh, and then on a quarterly basis with regards to conditional grants, we do have sector meetings where we meet with a relevant sector, let's say in the case, making example with health, we meet with health. And also, uh, from time to time, they do uh, invite the provincial colleagues and go through each grant and see what, where the challenges are and whether national, uh, both uh, the sector and, and national treasurer are able to provide assistance with regards to the challenges that they're experiencing. But support is provided to, to provinces in terms of conditional grants. But in what we have seen, uh, I think in, in terms of provincial, I think we would say that uh, in terms of performance, uh, it has really improved over the years that uh, we find that most of the time we spend uh, uh, more than 90% uh, of the budget. And you find that especially the infrastructure grants, when you compare different spheres of government, you find that the provincial sphere of government tends to do well in terms of uh, infrastructure performance at least. Um, so I think the same will apply to the issues around baseline, where the issue was whether uh, this presentation is really focusing on, on baseline only. What about performance? Uh, the same applies because uh, what we do, uh, as I already indicated, uh, we do uh, that monthly uh, monitoring. On a quarterly basis, members will recall that we publish Section 32, uh, quarterly information of provincial spending. Uh, we do have budget visit where we meet with provinces 
And with virtual uh, meetings now, I mean, we're able to meet uh, provinces more often because we don't have to travel to them. So I think uh, uh, it is uh, virtual meetings has come with more advantages and also do infrastructure as well to see how the delivery is going on the ground uh, on, on, the, on the projects themselves. So on the issue of fiscal dumping, I, I would say that on the, on the provincial space, it's something that is just limited to, I would say, to, for example, the issues of, of around the Human Settlement Development Grant, where you find that uh, uh, as is towards the end of the year, particularly this month or the last three months of the year, they transfer money that they did not spend to whether it's the HDA, Housing Development Agency, to deliver on their behalf, or they transfer to municipalities. So that's the challenge at this moment that we have had. And we have try, uh, uh, we're trying so hard to find ways of to say, in that case, then how do you surrender that money back to the National Revenue Fund? Because essentially, you, 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 you have not really committed this funds because uh, the Division of Revenue is clear, the paper is clear that only, I mean, we need to con co commit that money. So if the money is not committed, it needs to come back to the National Revenue Fund. But we, we are still battling with that with regards to where the money is transferred to municipalities in terms of how do we get it back to the National Revenue Fund. But we are trying to find ways to, to do that. With regards to the SOCs in provinces, we in the in provinces we have uh, normal entities, which is the three Cs uh, scheduled in terms of the three C of the, uh, of the of the of the of the PFMA, and of that we have fifty six of those entities. Uh, those entities are like uh, your gambling board, which collect uh, the revenue, the casino taxes, uh, the liquor boards that collects. Uh, we have fifty six of those. But the whole idea was that uh, over the years, um, uh, years back, there was an agreement at the Budget Council that uh, uh, the uh, provinces will try and rationalize these entities. For example, merging of the liquor boards and, and gambling board because they kind of do the similar work. So in some provinces, that uh, process is slow, like in the Eastern Cape and Kozuru Natal. But in other provinces like Houting and Pumalang, they've already and and Free State have already done those measures in terms of reducing the number of entities. But uh, we also have the the three D, which you call uh, the business enterprises. In terms of the business enterprises, we've got seventeen of those, and of that they include the the SEZ, as we know the the special economic zones like Yokuha, the Richards Bay, IDZ, the Saldana, they're part of those. And we also have your 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 business enterprises that you know, like your Itala, your your Northwest Development Corporation, your Mega in Mpumalanga, and and also leader in Limpopo and others. So we do have such uh, entities. But I'll say, uh, Chairperson, in the main, they are fairly okay. But they, they obviously, there there are also those that are too small that needs to be merged. I think the big issue is that when we they have been cleaned up, there's been a cleanup of entities then we'll know that at least others are able to sustain themselves. Because the whole idea with the 3D entities is that in terms of the PFMA, they're not supposed to get funding for, from, the, from state or from government because they're meant to be self-sustainable. So that's a way, but in this case, I think over the years, the transfers to those have re drastically reduced uh, only when they're given projects like uh, Making an example with, let's say, broadband, where uh, 
Limpopo Economic Development Agency will be asked to say, run this project for the province to ensure that there, you, there's broadband within the province in the rural areas. So they get given those funds, uh, whether also like in the case of Pumalanga, where they have uh, uh, the, the, I think it's something about uh, the garden and fruit and something uh, along those lines. So they get given those funds for a particular project that they run on behalf of, of, of certain departments. Uh, on this case also, we do have uh, uh, in-year uh, monitoring uh, uh, that we give to provinces uh, to for them to submit to us on a quarterly basis uh, so that we see how the entities are doing. So we do have that. Uh, 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 so I think essentially they are, they are just okay, but uh, most of them, they've been hit hard uh, by, by COVID. Uh, if you look at the gambling boards, because... Uh, they could not collect the revenue that were meant to, whether with their tourism entities, so such. So I think uh, also they've been hit hard in that regard. So thank you, Honorable Chair. Ayan, over to you. Thanks, Wendy. Good morning, Honorable Chair. With your permission, can I leave my video off? Okay, okay, please continue. Thank you so much, uh, Chairperson. So just to add to what Marie Jeng has said on consultants, I think the honorable members are aware that the National Treasury has issued the cost containment regulations that then is applicable to national, provincial and municipalities. The point is in reality, we do uh, uh, engage with municipalities on the numbers when they report us and when they meet with us. But there is the technical part of the operations where, unfortunately, they do draw heavily on consultants. So in that uh, regard, we don't think that we'll get to a point where you can completely eliminate that. The second point is Chair, on the organizational structures. Marijeng is correct. This is largely the competency of uh, Copta and Salga, they've done both extensive work on designing the organizational structure fit for purpose and in the different type of categories of municipalities. What we did observe in many of our budget assessments that the organizational structure is bloated and as a result, not a lot of money go to core services. And Chair, in our norms and standards that we've issued in terms of Circular 71, there's a ratio that we ask municipalities to try and adhere to at all costs. The National Treasury Chair has done extensive work on the Budget and Treasury Office. This is where the CFO and its finance team is, is located. And that work will soon uh, be issued uh, to the municipalities to assist them to get uniformity, but also to get that service beefed up. Because if you do not have a proper finance department with capable people that can assist you with your budget and your monitoring and your implementation, then you actually weaken yourself as an institution. Chairperson, uh, the point about the indigent register, this is a very interesting uh, question observation. The equitable share that has been referred to on slide 20 
that money is being set aside to subsidize services to the poorest of the poor. When we do assess the budgets of municipalities, uh, Chairperson, I haven't seen one municipality in South Africa of all 257, including the metros, that put in their budget the exact amount that we subsidize. And the, the municipalities are supposed to have as a in, uh, indigent policy and a register. And every municipality that we engage, although they say they don't have sufficient money, you will find that they do not allocate, because this is one of the checks that we do religiously, what is in the Division of Revenue Act for direct grants must be in their budgets. It has to be appropriated before they can spend it. And therefore, Chair, the point is they do not necessarily put in the exact amount. It's always less. And therefore, when they do come to us and ask that they need more money, then say, let's start here. Why are you not appropriating the exact amount that's been set aside for this in your budget? Historically, Chair, we couldn't monitor this. But because of the reforms that we have facilitated with regard to the MSCOA reform, we can now start to track that. So that if there's 100 rand in the Division of Revenue Act for the Ecorocher, then in the budget there needs to be 100 rand. And going forward, we should be in a position, Chair, if this reform gets to its logical conclusion, where we can actually see to the cent what municipalities do use the money on. Chair, as far as the uh, debtors number that Marijeng has referred to, that we're about to release the second quarter results. Now, this is an important point. The way the MFMA and the PFMA is designed, the first line of accountability is always with the department, but with the province or the municipality. So they need to use the provisions in the Act to monitor their own performance. And you will see in the MFMA, there's certain responsibilities assigned to the mayor. So monthly, the mayor needs to consider the financial reports. That same information is then reported to the National Treasury on a monthly basis to national and provincial treasuries. And Chair, similar to what Ukhali has explained, in the, at the national level, we publish the financial results for national departments every month. Provinces report every month in terms of Section 32. Municipalities report every month in terms of Section 71. But Chair, quarterly, we consolidate that information. So that is the financial information that we track, including conditional ground performance. And share that information we publish religiously on our website. And it's there for the public, but it's also there for this house to, to then engage with. And chair, if there's a need where we need to explain this to the committee, so be it, because we will be quite happy to do that. But chair, if I can now quote the outstanding amount the total amount that municipalities has provided a service, but they have not collected the money, is now 261.5 billion rand.
of that organs of state, as Mary Jane indicated, which means national departments, provincial departments, and other institutions, is 19,6 billion rand or 7,5%. The number should be a zero chairperson. The second number is business. It's currently standing at 54,2 billion rand or 20,7%. It needs to be a zero. And the example Marijeng cited with the city of Tuani, that should happen all across the country with every municipality enforcing their credit control. Unfortunately, Chair, the hard reality is leading up to the elections. This is where we see strange behaviors. And let me not uh, uh, put myself in an awkward position to, to explain the reason for that, but the members know what happened politically in the lead up to elections. The household chair is 182,4 billion rand, which is 69,7%. So chair of the 261,5 billion, 41,6 is within the 30 to 60 day period. So that is not a concern, but the effort municipalities must put in is to collect the historically amounts. And this is where there's a political oversight committee and there's the, the, the committee that the president chair to a uh, deputy president chair to assist us to deal with the ESCOM historical debt as well as water boards. Chairperson, we do issue two budget circulars every year to guide municipalities when they prepare their budgets. The first one is early December, and normally a week after the national budget, we issue the second one. So I would really encourage the members, it's on our website, to read our circulars. But essentially the procedure that municipalities must follow to give effect to the division of revenue is articulated in the March budget circular. So step for step, what they're supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do, Chair. And we have institutionalized these practices to the point now, because of our monitoring system, if we detect that the municipality have unspent grants, because it's not their money, it's nationally recorded expenditure in the books as explained, that amount has to be cash back. So there needs to be if we transfer 100 rand and you spend 80 rand, then there must be 20 rand in the bank. So we then look at the financial statements. If we can't find that 20 uh, rand, then we recall the money. And that practice we've institutionalized, I would say, at least over the last eight to 10 years. So, Chairperson, there's no municipality in the country that should not say that they've been trained, they've been educated, they've been explained how this practice works. In the early years, we've met with all municipalities on grants twice a year. Chair, today we don't meet with any of them. If the numbers show that they have not spent the money and it's confirmed by their financial statements, Chair, then we recall the money. And on average, that number 
is about 2 billion annually. So on the broader scheme of things, if you look at the equitable shares about 80 billion rand, then we recall annually about 2 billion because of underspending. So we have explained this in our circulars very in detail. We've capacitated them. And Marijeng is correct. The first line of policy monitoring is with a national sector department. So for MIG, it's COCTA. Where we sit as the national treasury, we overarching look at the implementation of the Division of Remedy Act, and we make sure whatever this House and Parliament uh, approve, that we give effect to that, to the letter of a law chairperson. Um, I think at this point, chairperson, that's where I should stop. Uh, I know the the difficulty that that one of the difficult questions that you've asked us before, chair, how do you use performance versus the allocations? How do you allocate if you know a municipality is not going to spend the money? And consistently, because of the fiscal scenario, uh, I'm sure the House has seen that we have progressively reduced grants. Uh, so we have considered the actual performance, but it's not in the interest of a community that they get penalized as a result of the actions of a municipality. And Chair, this is where we're trying to beef up even our own ability to, to guide municipalities. The one difficulty, Chair, that we do have, we're responsible for monitoring and oversight. Unfortunately, we do not run municipalities, nor do we appoint the people that is in those municipalities. So Chair Marijenga said this before to the committee. So we are doing monitoring and oversight, and sometimes we do that with people that earn three times our salary. Now, how do you bring those two things together? But on the one hand, you say you don't have capacity, yet you are paying your people quite extensive salaries, and therefore the value for money is an important consideration. Chairperson, let me pause there. If there's anything that I forgot, then I can perhaps come back later. Thank you. Um, Jan, can you also just touch on the issue, what we do if a home council result in a budget not being passed, because um, nothing between National Treasury will come in with regard to home councils. Thanks. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, thanks, Honourable Chair. So, Chairperson, we've done a lot of extensive work to improve our intervention framework. Now, the Constitution is very clear on the hierarchy of interventions. There's section 1391A, B, and C that talks about interventions in the sense of a directive. But then section 1394 of a constitution kicks in the moment a municipality, as a result of infighting or whatever the reason, are not in a position to adopt the budget as per the legislative framework then the, the clauses of uh, 139 of the MF may also kick in. So section 139.4 of a constitution read together with section 139 of the MFMA. Essentially, Chair, what then happens is the MEC of finance in the province have to uh, get involved 
And in, we've had a few examples in this in the past, which means that the province then take responsibility. So when it comes to the tabling of a budget, a municipality have a legislative deadline of 31st of March to table the budget, and they must adopt the budget by the latest 30 June. So if they don't table on time, the law allows them every seven days the council to meet. If they go beyond that point and they miss the 30 June deadline, Chairperson, then the constitution kicks in in the form of section 1394. Then the province have to intervene and the MSC of finance have to then assist the municipality and by implication take over that responsibility. Uh, a chairperson, the whole intervention work that we've done uh, is, is we've done quite substantial work and perhaps in the future at the point we can also share that with the committee. We have done roadshows across the country with the two deputy ministers of finance and COCTA so that we can make sure that people understand what the constitution is talking about, the MFMA part of it, and how intervention should be done properly going forward. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you. Then Ukhali will come back um, to deal with one more question and then um, let's say we'll deal with the last one. Thanks. Um, Ukhali? Okay, thanks, uh, Wendy. Thanks, Chairperson. I forgot the question around um, personnel versus uh, infrastructure. So, uh, Honorable Chair and members, uh, so um, if you look at provinces as a sphere of government, uh, they are labor intensive. If you look at um, the number of personnel uh, between the, let's say, national sphere of government, majority are teachers, about 400 of them are teachers, 400,000 are teachers, more than 300,000 are, are, are health professionals. So uh, indeed, so therefore, uh, as we look at them, we don't look at them as just a number, but uh, personnel that contributes really to civil delivery because without a, a teacher in front of a learner, then the, the, the learners cannot be taught. So there's no education. Uh, same applies with health. So we have seen even with COVID how important the health professionals are. So that's where we have seen uh, actually even if we look at the growth in numbers, let's say in the past two years, we see it in the health professionals, uh, uh, particularly those that were at least helping with COVID response. But I think the challenge has been, especially for provinces, that uh, because of the, the rising cost of personnel, therefore then what happened was that uh, majority of the equitable share that they were using to 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 at least co-fund conditional grants that are for infrastructure delivery, that they eroded that that funding and that funding gets uh, shifted to to where the pressures are if there are pressures on on personal expenditure. So I think that's where the, the biggest challenge is at the moment that you find that majority of provinces essentially are, are relying on uh, conditional grants for infrastructure delivery. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, Lichipa. Um, thanks, Wendy, and thanks to the honorable members. Um, 
Honorable members, Ayan has dealt with the question on how funds intended to support uh, the basic services uh, to households uh, are not always uh, used for those purposes. I think I just want to add a little bit on that in terms of just providing some detail uh, based on uh, this since the non-financial census data that was released, uh, I think it was early April uh, last year in 2021, which really showed an, uh, an underwhelming coverage, really, just that, you know, uh, and, and that's the data that is reported by municipalities, by the way, uh, to say, you know, of the 10.2 million uh, indigent households that we find from the formula, uh, uh, municipalities have only reported a, a coverage of 21.8%. Uh, and, 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 and I think that that's really just speaks to the to the to the issue we have here uh, that even though we do increase this funding to local government but at that level uh, the level of prioritization you know is one that needs uh, to be to be really uh, looked at uh, and and the second issue perhaps I wanna also make is that even the costing um, so the costs that have been reported by municipalities that they have incurred you know in providing this. Uh, basic services is much lower than what we currently provide for uh, in the equitable share. In fact, it's only electricity where um, the spending is a bit higher. And even there, it's a mere 65%. So you can imagine if the highest is 65%, what the lowest uh, is there. An indication, again, that our cost factors that affect uh, that are affected in the formula to inform the allocations you know, uh, cannot be questioned on those basis uh, as municipalities are spending quite lower to provide the services. Uh, but serious questions have to be asked um, around the, the coverage there. Uh, Wendy, I will ask a, 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 a Bungani to then respond to the question on uh, PTNG. The last question from our side. Thanks. Thanks, Bungani. Have it to you. Okay, thanks. And uh, once again, uh, good morning, Chairperson and Honourable Members. So in terms of uh, responding to the public transport uh, network grant uh, question, uh, the question that was raised was around the in incomplete infrastructure for suspended cities. Uh, just to indicate that when, when the decision for suspension was made, uh, we categorized uh, the municipalities that are receiving that grant into three categories. The first one being municipalities that are operational, that are actually transporting people using that grant. The second one were municipalities that are not operational, but have infrastructure that has been put in place already. And the third category was, was category of municipalities that have been planning and they don't have any infrastructure in place. So the three municipalities that were suspended, which is uh, Buffalo City, Mbombela, and Musundus, were in this third category, whereby they have been planning all along. They did not have the infrastructure. And also for those that sort of were saying they are implementing infrastructure, as an example, Buffalo City, they were just... Uh, upgrading Kumza Highway, which can be up like that uh, highway can be upgraded using any other 
a conditional grant that allows for that. There is, the city does not necessarily have to be in this grant, the PTNG, to upgrade that uh, that road. So for the purposes of the IPTN, the thing is, uh, upgrading of road is necessary, but does not is not sufficient to qualify as the city implementing the PTNG. And also, with regard to, uh, given that so far we have only uh, suspended cities that have not uh, implemented any infrastructure. Uh, as indicated in the meeting that we have with the committee, uh, there is work that is currently underway whereby we are going to look at how we can better deal with the suspension of cities. But uh, I would like the members to be cognizant that for the other cities that are not yet operational, which is Etequini, Mangawung, Polokwani, and Rustenburg, that was alluded to, we keep funding this municipalities, yet they have not even transported a single person using this grant. And in terms of service delivery, uh, given that in the meeting, it has been said repeatedly that grants should be used for the intended purpose. The intended purpose of this grant is to transport people. So if we keep funding uh, municipalities, yet they're not uh, using the grant for the intended purpose, which in my view, this is transporting people, then uh, we should be making a decision as government whether uh, in terms of the if they have infrastructure already in place, we continue funding them in perpetuity, or we have to, as indicated, there is work underway, find a mechanism, even if there is an infrastructure on the way, if a city needs to be suspended, we suspend it from this grant because it's not doing what it's supposed to. Currently, that money is... Uh, paying for the consultants that in this meeting it has been raised sharply that that is not acceptable because they are not using that money for the operation of transporting people and also it should be noted that when a city is being suspended we make funding available so that they can wrap up whatever projects that are outstanding so the uh, the department of national department of transport together with the affected municipalities, would sit and identify projects that needs to be uh, wrapped up in order to facilitate for the city to be suspended from the grant, while there are other mechanisms that are going to be put in place as to how those municipalities are going to come back into this grant. So just to answer, like, simply and straightforward, those municipalities that have been suspended so far did not have any infrastructure that was uh, just out that was uh, done for the implementation of the IPTN that is affected. Thanks, uh, Chairperson and honorable members. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Um, we're done. Thanks. Yeah, okay, thank Sorry, you. Thank you. Uh, three, yes, uh, I can see that folded fist of Mr. Bongani means business. Uh, I just wanted to maybe with the same vigor uh, on, on the 200 uh, billion allocated for small business. Uh, I didn't hear anything on it as to how does the uh, honorable Kaiso, yes, chair. 
sorry, let me interrupt you. Um, uh, I think Wendy came in and said that that will come with the appropriations bill. Occasion, okay, yeah, I think that's there. They did respond to 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 it. Just just hold to that 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 question when we we deal with them appropriations. Let's let's get to to it. Okay. Any any other thing, Kaiso? Kaiso. No, no, no. I'm covered here. I'm covered here. Okay. Okay. Uh, 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 thank you. Um. Um. Before I let uh, Tim uh, uh, National Treasurer go, uh, Jeng, please just talk uh, to to the nominal versus uh, real increase that you spoke about. Please, the increases that you are having. Yes, uh, Honorable Chair, the increases that we are reflecting are increases uh, in real terms, so which means it's above inflation increases. So that's what we are using in terms of the numbers. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Madi Jeng. I'll tell you why I'm asking. I've been hearing this, oh, only 1%, you see. Um, and um, so it's it's important that we we, we, we stress that 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 one. Okay. <clears throat> um, honorable members, uh, I think that uh, brings us to the end of the presentations uh, by uh, by 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 uh, national uh, treasury. Uh, thank 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 you very much, uh, uh, Mary Jane and uh, the, the the team. Uh, for the for the presentation and then the en en engagement, um, as you know that uh, especially when we deal with local government, it's a very important sphere uh, uh, of of government, and uh, uh, this committee has taken keen interest as to what is happening at 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 that level, because if we don't get it right there as as government, our service delivery and the the monies that we we appropriate here. Uh, uh, won't have their desired outcomes as far as inequality, uh, poverty, and employment creation are concerned. But thank you, thank you very much uh, uh, for for the for the presentation. We'll we'll continue interacting with the. If there are any other things, we'll we'll, we'll be in touch with you. But thank thank you very much. But we are still continuing with our 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 meeting. Uh, we are free to. Uh, to remain, we're not very transparent committee. So you may remain in the platform, but since I know that you have got a lot of work to do, uh, you're also free to leave uh, the meeting. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair, and all our members. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. Thank you, Chair. <laughs> bye, 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 Wendy. Bye. <laughs> Okay, uh, honorable members, can we go to agenda item number number five? Uh, the minutes of the meeting of, of the 15th of February, 2022, they were sent to us. Um, can I have a mover for the adoption of the minutes of the 15th of, of February? Honorable Matafa, I move chair. Second down. Kaiso, second, Matafa moves. Uh, the minutes of the 15th of February, Julie adopted. Can we look at the minutes of the 16th of Feb? 
Muka. Mlenza na mos. Honorable Mlenza na mos. Yo, ya ki network ya Honorable Mlenza when you move minutes. I've been moving all around this house. <laughs> no, that's a that spot. Don't move from that spot again. Whenever you go, I want. I want. <laughs> okay. Uh, the minutes of the 16th of February. Around uh, lens and eyes moves. Seconda. Seconda. I second chair Matafa. Around Matafa seconds. Minutes of the 16th of February 22, Julie ad, ad, adopted. That takes care of agenda item number five. Agenda item number six, Darren. Deposition announcements. Yeah. Um, nothing from my side, um, except next week, Tuesday, we are receiving briefing from PBO on the Division of Revenue Bill. Thank okay. you, Chair. Thank, thank, thank you. Uh, uh, um, thank you, everybody. Thank you, honorable members, uh, the support staff. Everybody was on the platform. I think it was a a, um, a very informative engagement, and the questions that we ask for clarifications uh, will 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 assist uh, in us trying to ensure that there is proper service delivery at those levels of government. Uh, this takes us to the end of, of, of today's meeting. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Yeah, PDM Sangha, no mind. Hi, Salah, Salah. Oh, thank you, Chair. Enjoy the afternoon. Okay, thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a good yeah. afternoon, all of you. Yes, uh, did you see the notice from uh, the message from Mr. Kaiso? Check no, there let me check. check there in the chat. Okay, okay. Uh, Ms. Dikhale did apologize. Oh, Ms. Dikhale, eh? Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Now I can see this one. Okay. No, thank you so much, my brother. I appreciate me. I will note it, me. Sure. Shab, shab, Darren. Yeah.